0: Hey, hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome back. Episode 86 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. On today's show, we've got uh, some WIR Top 10 news. We've also got a little podcast roundup, and we got a little special guest, so uh, it's not going to be in that order, so just uh, stick around and have some fun, and let's see how it turns out. Today is Friday, August 4th, and if you've got something important that you need to do, uh, say like on August 5th, then you better uh, get to prepping. You know what I'm saying? All right. And I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. My skin met the asphalt, but these new ki- new ways kit my all right. A couple of blurs, whatever they do with cocaine. The victim, I mean, guess. guess it's, it's usually a. Place. it's a cafe racer with alloy makes racing tank the soma actually was purchased by uh, the barber vintage motorsports museum
1: you know after this interview i sound like a fat hairy bearded slob long hours in the uncomfortable seat
0: kangaroos is like leaping down the street every day um, all right technically all chaps are assholes, right <laughs> i don't have it perfected i have to stop talking shit my wife's like saying- You're 41 and started a race career. Yes, I am guest number 632. As big as motorcycle entry and very few people have actually ever even laid eyeballs on a confederate.
1: I thought it was a good book. I I didn't want to put it down. I wanted to know what happened next, but it was not my typical genre. I'm Cammie, um, and I'm, I guess, one of the leaders. And I'm Nikki, and I'm one of the leaders. Part of the thing with movie
0: racing is... The bikes are so big and the motors are so big that most of this is a power sign issue. Keep your knees in the freezer and the cheddar in your cheekies. time to get weird with, with creative writing. Yeah, it's always time to get weird with creative writing. Hey, listen. Today is an exciting episode, partially because I usually have these done on Thursday and pumped out on Thursdays so that you can have them on Fridays, and you know sometimes that doesn't always happen, uh, but I need to get this one out today, uh, today being Friday, and uh, I normally give a little top 10, WIR top 10 bikes um, preview before it actually happens so that the folks can listen to something, but you know what I realized? Unless I have it done early in the morning, they're not going to be able to listen to to it on the, you know, only on the way to the track. So basically they're too busy doing stuff up there while they're racing to, to stop and listen. So what I've decided is I usually say, mention something about, uh, following them and checking them out on the Facebook pages. And then it dumps rain. Even, even if it's like, uh, middle of July, you know what I mean? Uh, June, July, It don't matter. It's been raining cats and dogs and old ladies and sticks up there. So, to prevent my own jinxing of their series, I decided to hang off and I'm going to release this tonight so that while they're sitting around the campfire eating tacos and making the long drive home back to uh, Waukesha that they can, um, you know, listen to this and uh, know that somebody was listening overhead and actually... uh, Well, I'm not listening overhead... This, this is going terribly sideways, but you, you're getting what I'm you're getting what I'm picking up and laying one down, right? <laughs> that that didn't even come out right. Oh, geez, I better just get to it before uh, I run out of time on this episode. So listen, they've already made first round passes, and they've had a few no shows. If you're not familiar with motorcycling in general, and probably the world's biggest motorcycle uh, rally, Sturgis is happening. And there's a lot of people from uh, Wisconsin heading over to the Dakotas. Check it out. To that one Dakota where it is. Not all, both Dakotas. So at any rate, here is a quick rundown. Uh, Last time we left off, we had a few people. And they had some no-shows because of that. So what we have here is the old list. Tenth spot going to first. So we had intent. We had uh, Jake. Then number nine, Preston calling out Dylan T. Then in seventh, Dylan P. In sixth, we have Justin calling out Ryan. In fourth, we have Dustin. In third, we have Nitrous Chris calling out Jason Goldfinger. And then we have Mad Michelle Stanky Pits in the top first spot. Well... First, uh, first rounds have happened. They're in the second round callouts now. Jason is actually calling out Michelle uh, during the second round, and this was updated an hour ago. So I don't know if they've uh, made it again yet. And and they'll probably let's see. It's nine seventeen there now. They'll probably be wrapping up soon. I think so. We'll see if they make it to a third round. But we got Dustin calling out Nitrous Chris. Jake still in the bottom. Preston still in ninth. Uh, Dylan T and Dylan P. Um Dylan T's calling out Dylan P so Preston called out Dylan T and didn't wait a second here Yeah, Preston called out Dylan T. Didn't make it. So now Dylan T is calling out Dylan P. Uh, And Ryan and Justin is gone. Dustin is calling out Nitrous Chris. Jason's calling out Michelle. Will our girl stay on top? I believe she will. She's a hardworking teacher type from Wisconsin, uh, does Russian twists for breakfast, um, runs 5Ks just for the fun of it. You know, if she really is feeling it, she'll run two back to back marathons. Um, Honestly, unless Goldfinger has a like a turbo power powered, uh, turbine powered bike like Jay Leno's helicopter rocket bike. I really don't think he has a chance of knocking our girl off the top step, but he does throw Cheetos, Doritos and chicken strips down on the track in hope of distracting people via their stomach and their eyes. So we will see maybe, um, or he races with the shirt off sometimes and that can throw people, you know, throw their brain out of whack. They can't unsee that. So at any rate, I'm excited to see, I hope, hope they get the third rounds. I'm kind of glad I didn't, mention anything because the way the rain forecast looked if i said hey tune into the wir top 10 bikes and and uh you know, stay alert to their Facebook page, I guarantee the rain would have come down uh, just based on the fact that it had a pretty good chance of already falling. So, guys, uh, enjoy the tacos and enjoy the nachos. This one's on me. Michelle, I know you're up there on top. I know, uh, you know, Jason is is uh, more hot air than he is uh, hot exhaust. I don't know. I'll, I'll think of something clever to say next time. But, um, yeah, and if they do go to third rounds, um, you know, God willing, and the and the river don't rise, literally, quite literally at that track, because um, then they'll be racing jet skis there, uh, our girls on top, and at least we have our, our favorite three there uh, in, the, in the top three. So that's great. Stock wheelbase class, uh, I have no idea what's going on. I really, you know, with those guys, it's hard to tell. You throw a dank meme or like a taco down, and they're so distracted, uh, they can hardly keep stuff straight between them, let alone keep their board and pictures updated. So uh, at any rate... Uh, Aaron Shue, if you have any complaints, go ahead and contact him, and uh, he'll he'll probably um, get around to it in a couple weeks. So we'll we'll check it out, and definitely on next week's show, we will have the wrap up, and maybe even if you're good, I will try and get in contact with somebody uh, from Wisconsin and get get the real the lowdown on what's going down in Dragtown. oh my god this just in it has been rained out and that was literally since i started recording this i'm the worst luck for these WIR top 10 folks and uh i'm gonna guess michelle is still on top hell and high water and the river did rise so uh well we'll find out what happened next week Oh boy, oh boy, right now I'd like to talk about something that's going on starting today and it's going to go on for the next, oh, seven days at least. And that is the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally this year in its 77th year. If you're not in Sturgis now, you're obviously missing it uh, because you're not going to get there before all the good stuff's gone. I'm just kidding. It's a whole week long, peeps. And uh, to tell you a little bit about it here is me. Hello, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Sturgis Rally. What little bit I know. I've never been to Sturgis, but uh, obviously it's one of the most famous biker rallies in North America. It happens in Sturgis, South Dakota. It was started by a fella named Pappy Hoyle back in 1936. And he started, he he bought an Indian friend. Franchise there in Sturgis, uh, started a club called the Jackpine Gypsies that same year. Um, they're actually an AMA chartered club. They started the Jack. Or the uh Black Hills Classic, a uh, little little rally race there and uh, it has been going on ever since. The club actually still owns the land that all the racing and everything is done on. So that's pretty cool that they, you know, it's they're still the uh the OG club is still uh owns all, all the stuff and runs all the the races and everything. And um, you know, from 30 oh shoot, from 36 to Uh, 1960, I think it was just the the classic that ran in 61, they added hill climbs and motocross races. Um, since then it's been, uh, going into, let's see, they've had supermoto there, obviously hill climb, you know, I said hill climb and motocross, but they, they added, um, like short track, um, half miles, you know, they, they added a bunch of stuff. Um, in 64, it, uh, turned into a three day event, I believe. And then in 75, or no, in 65, it moved up to a five-day event. In 75, it evolved into its present day, uh, you know, the the week-long event that, that it is, and it's. I mean, if there's one place where you can go on on any bike and be accepted, a lot of people think it's just baggers and American baggers, but it's not. There's you know all sorts of stuff rolls through Sturgis. Fly your freak flag, do all this crazy stuff. But the main thing is that you go there and you have a good time and you respect the motorcycle, you respect your fellow bikers, be they male, female, or whatever they want to be and whatever you want to be. You have a good time, uh, make some new friends. And uh, you don't do anything stupid. And sometimes people do go there and do stupid stuff. Well, you know, uh, it's not 100% family-oriented, uh, but I wouldn't say that it's like 100% not family-oriented either. And it's iconic. If you say, you know, if you're a motorcyclist and you say, oh, have you been to Sturgis to somebody else that rides, even if they're not a bagger or a cruiser rider or even if they're not from the northern part of the United States – possibly even if they're from another country they'll know what you're talking about because Sturgis is it's international you know what I mean and it's it's been going on for almost well let's not say 100 years yet I mean it's 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 in it's uh it's it's just past the the 75th year so three quarters of a century it's it's on its way though it's well on its way it's not going to die out in the next 20 years so or uh, 23 years now so It's in good shape. And there's someone else, a modern day Pappy Hoyle in my opinion, that has also brought all sorts of racing and fun family activities to all of us and modernized it a little bit. And with any luck, a little bit of luck and a little bit of um, hard work, which probably, let's say 99% hard work, 1% luck, uh, there could be another Sturgis-like rally on the West Coast for us. So, my fingers are crossed. And if you want to know more about that, let's jump into an interview here with uh, my next guest. I'm super excited to have them on the show. And it's a little bit of a dream come true for me. Uh, This is somebody that I've wanted to have on for uh, ever since I started the podcast. However, uh, timing and uh, coincidental meetings never, never happened. And um, so now I got my opportunity just sort of like out of the blue. All right, so we have a special guest on uh, this week's show. We've got uh, a promoter and a racer and an all-out motorcycle nut with us. I'll I'll go ahead. I always mess this up by stepping on everybody first, but I'll go ahead and I'll let him introduce himself. So go ahead, take it
1: away. All right, guys. Uh, I want to say thanks for having me on. First of all, I'm Brian Bell from Ivy League Flatback. I did the Del Mar Series, Uh, did some races all over the country, Sturgis, Daytona, Austin, and uh, looking forward to keep going.
0: Right on. And tell us a little bit about, now I know this is cheating for me, so for people who are are just coming into this, uh, tell them when you got your start.
1: All right, so I started uh, in the motorcycles when I was 23. It's uh, 11 long years ago. It seems like forever for all the things that have happened uh, in between. Um, a buddy of mine at Tudix Racing uh, got me on a dirt bike for the first time and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and, and everything I do, I like to excel at. So, you know, it was started with going out every weekend, every other weekend, as much as I possibly could. And then that turned into getting involved with District 37 and doing some desert racing. And then, you know, about, I don't know, four or five years later, um, a good friend of mine uh, told me, hey, why don't you try flat track? And I said, no, that's for old men. I'm not going to do that, you know, trying to protect my reputation or something. And if I would have known way back when just how much more important the disciplines are Um, to your overall riding ability i would have i would have done it from day one and so i got uh, a front tire for my yz 250 that i was racing in the desert and started doing some flat tracking on the side and the first day i went out i ended up having to have surgery on my thumb because i (laughs) broke the bone completely in half had to have some pins and stuff put in and i said all right maybe flat track's a little harder than i thought so uh, obviously with the mental challenge and the need to excel at things i Went out and bought a TT 500 framer and and started dedicating my time to that instead, and um, you know it was just an instant love as soon as I got onto that track. So over time, I decided that uh, you know I I wanted to start putting on races because I wanted to try more tracks and do those kinds of things. And um, we went to a little town in El Centro uh, and found a racetrack that was vacant and decided to put on a race, and that was our first one.
0: Rad, if I now this is just me going off of what I know about you. Um, that was in 2014, correct? Somewhere around. Correct.
1: Yeah, November first.
0: Wow, My, I have a better memory than I thought, and uh, and and actually, I mean, that's the first time I had ever saw that you guys raced, and then I noticed you were doing some some stuff in Arizona. Um, 2015, I have to say, uh, I think was a breakout year for you. And as, as your track record proves, if, if nobody's familiar with Ivy league events, I mean, you went from having this great, great series at Del Mar and just putting on like monthly or bi-monthly races. And I just, the, the turnouts were getting bigger and bigger. And then the next year you went like international and global. I couldn't believe, you know, (laughs) like how, how big it got in, in less than, you know, less than 18 months, probably 12 months.
1: Absolutely. It was uh, almost overwhelming. But I mean, when I stop and I look back at it, I really you know, take a breath and try to evaluate each event the way it went. I mean, it couldn't have gone more perfect, you know, and I, it, it, I can't even believe that having no motorcycle experience 11 years ago to, to running a national flat track series after that was was really step three, you know, so. Right.
0: And- and you, you went from racer to promoter. Is it because there? I mean, I'm not, I'm not bagging. Was there a lack of skill or was there just that you wanted to branch out and carry, like, did you see the need for other racers to have venues and you wanted to branch it out? Or was it just the fact that you were just, uh, were you getting clobbered out there on the track and you decided this is enough?
1: <laughs> uh, it's actually a little bit of both. It's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, when I started flat track and I had three pretty serious injuries in, in about a year and a half span, and my day job, um, threatened to to terminate me if I got hurt again. So I, uh, I decided to take a different route and that's, that's when we got Del Mar and you know, I haven't looked back since. I used to race at my own races at Del Mar the first year I did, but, uh, after the the success of it and how big it got in such a short time, I realized that if I got hurt, all my friends and family are the ones working for me. So you know i didn't want to take the chance of, of any of the racing taking a hit so i took a step out and uh, my 500's been in storage ever since unfortunately
0: oh man it's like the uh, the cobbler that you know that old uh, saying the cobbler's kids have no shoes but i mean i can't I commend you enough for the 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 stuff that you've done uh, as far as providing events for, and and really growing this this uh, the scene. I mean, from from a coverage standpoint, as far as TV and uh, I mean, I I don't listen to that. There's not that many radio shows anymore, but there's about a thousand motorcycle podcasts now, and they all jumped on the flat track bandwagon beginning this season. And I I think, in my honest opinion, it has a lot to do with the grassroots promotion of it and the growth of uh, Ivy League events, just scattering across the country, incorporating with shows, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take the credit for for the growth of you know hooligan and flat track and stuff like that, getting eyes on it, getting more eyes on it, and getting people interested in the sport in general, and kind of helping the national. I mean, if that's it's a funny thing to say that the big guys needed help from the little guys, but I think they really did. You know, especially after the motorcycle industry took a hit. And, uh, is there a certain like way you promote or is there, I, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure the details behind, you know, the business aspect of it, but, um, I mean, is it, is it obviously it's like a, a passion of yours and is it something that you just plan on doing and expanding from here on out?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you, you kind of nailed it on the head there too. Um, it's not a secret as much as it is a key to the, the way I operate. Um, when I first started flat track and I just, you know, I wish I would have known that it was there. I wish I would have known that that opportunity had been there the whole time. And so for me, when I started promoting it, I had no intention of, of ever going bigger than just a little El Centro race. I mean, that was never in the, in the cards. Uh, all I wanted to do was just tell people that flat track was there, it's available and it's fun. And I wanted everybody to try it. And, you know, at, at Paris Raceway where I started, it's a true racetrack, you know. I mean, they, they take it seriously. They treat it seriously. You know, it's a way for kids to come up and, and go through the ranks and eventually become pro. And, you know, for the guys that just want a weekend hobby, um, you know, you don't necessarily have a framer or a DTX bike set up to go out and do it. So that's why we did the hooligan stuff and that's why we did the rung run stuff and all the mini bikes and, the you know, pull start stuff because it was never – it, it, it was the, the main reason and intention for that was to just get these guys to come out and try it. Maybe the next year they'd be on a 450 or a 500, you know, and that was, that's worked, you know, so it can't, uh, can't take away from it. And after the last Del Mar race, we had a total of 956 entries over the course of a weekend, you know, it was the most overwhelming thing I've ever dealt with in my entire life, <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> you know, but it, it was just proof. It was just proof that, uh, that it's worked. Yeah. Right. Know? right
0: and i have to, I, that sounds bigger than the turnouts at paris to be honest uh i mean and paris is so southern california's flat track uh like region you know what i mean and and, and it sounds like and i don't think they get that many people at their regional events you know
1: uh, you know and there's a there's a thing to that too you know there's only so many guys that are really taking it seriously and going out and racing every weekend and for points and doing all that stuff and you know, let let Paris have that. What we want to do is make it a family-friendly show. You know, make it more of an entertainment program that features racing, not a racing program that features entertainment. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know.
1: So the the whole the whole goal behind El Mar was to make it a show, no different than Costa Mesa Speedway or industry racing or anything like that. You know, we want to sell tickets. We want to we want to have T-shirts out there. We want to have you know the everybody smiling, not just the the guys that are true flat track fans, but the wives and the kids that come with them. Right. Right.
0: And I, I think having, you know, when you go to an, uh, when you go to a sanctioned event or a club event, a lot of times, like you're saying, it's, it's serious. It's not as much of, uh, it's not as fun. You're going out there to see dad or maybe your son or your niece or whoever win and, and do their thing. Like it's watching a football game at uh, a high school or a middle school. But at the Ivy League events, you get to go out, you see pull start minis, you see this hooligan class, which is... Uh, I mean, they're racing the X Games, for God's sakes. You know, they're they are really... You're seeing, like, amateur-level pros, if that makes sense, or pro-level amateurs. I mean, however you want to phrase that. But you, you're starting that... F- on your grassroots, uh, you know, events, but it's turning into uh, a grassroots series, you know, which, which I think is just so awesome. And then you got the little kids out there and the pull, pull starts and the jousting and the limbo and all the fun stuff. That's not just, Hey, let's see who qualified, where and what he, you know what I mean? If you want to do that, there's every, every racing uh, you know, series has that if you want to go just watch that. But yours, yours does make it fun. You have a whole lot of like funny stuff happen in between. And, and uh, I have to say that even, you know, the speed with which you put these things on, I don't know how you do it. And I'll I'll, I'll ask you about that in, in a minute. But um, I know there's a lot of people behind it. But I've got plenty of people to go to Ivy League events, uh, listeners of the show, family members, um you know, people that just say, what's flat track and I'll say, Hey, go check out this, you know, Del Mar is right there. Uh, it's accessible to everyone. The fair, you know, I went to, uh, I raced during the fair and that was, you know, making that available to people that were just walking by is another huge thing, you know? And, uh, so lots of eyes got on it and people were just going, Oh my God, I can't wait till the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, they were even people that weren't into motorcycles before were just so they wanted to go check it out because what I told them and what I showed them. And, you know, so it was, it's amazing what you do to put that on, but, um, I feel bad. I, I, I'm, I'm giving you all the credit. You have a whole team of people that it probably wouldn't be possible without. And, um, I don't know if you want to give them their, their proper representation here.
1: (laughs) I absolutely do. Um, all right. So yeah, I had a a huge chunk of, of people support me from day one, you know, um, one of uh, the friends that actually got me into motorcycling and also into flat track. And he told me, uh, when I told him I wanted to put on a race, he told me I was an idiot, but he still said he'd help, you know, and so that he did. And that was Keith Bradford. That's the guy that's usually staging on the front line there. Um, Merle Williams, who's been our starter for the last couple of years. He's, uh, you know, he's seen the ups and downs of the program and does, does whatever he needs to do to help support it and, and make it successful. Um, you know, our registration girls from Katie to, to cindy to terry and and whoever else happens to be volunteering for the weekend and brandon and lisa who often come in from texas to help us out you know it's it's a it's a huge undertaking to put on all this stuff um my favorite story of our our staff and help is uh Smokey from paint by Smokey. i was uh standing in line at the sacramento mile and i had just maybe a month before that met a guy who said you got to meet this guy Smokey. he's he's uh he's all on the flat track and willing to help you. And I said, all right, yeah, I'll give him a call, but this is, you know, six months before the first race. So I'm standing in line to get pit credentials at, uh, the AMA national in Sacramento. And I see this paint by Smokey shirt. And I said, Hey, let me ask you something. Is this your phone number? And I pulled a piece of paper out of my wall and he said, yeah, why do you have my number? Said, why is it like that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I told him a story about how I met his buddy, at a, a local dive bar. that was having a bike night and I was just there passing out flyers and stuff. And, you know, and Smokey's been behind us as much as he possibly can be since uh, since then. You know, so he's been a big, big advocate of ours. And you know, I can't thank all these guys enough. Even even just the little guys. Uh, you know, Nate Bickham was uh, a guy that came in to help us with our social media. Was flagging for us. You know, I mean, all that all that stuff. You know, he's not taking on a huge responsibility, but it's helping out tremendously. You know, it takes such a burden off of of myself and any of my other team that needs to break away for a minute. So.
0: Right. I I mean, I I see you out there with the megaphone, the clipboards, the flags at times, and yeah, you're really, you're doing it all out there. And uh, I imagine that every little position helps, you know?
1: Absolutely. And, and it doesn't matter how many people we have, we could have a hundred people working for us, and we'd still be understaffed. You know, the production that Del Mar has become is, you know, is beyond what I ever imagined it to be. And there's so many little moving parts. I mean, it's just like building a model. You know, if you if you glue something in the wrong spot, you could destroy the whole thing. It just takes one little minute detail to make the whole thing fall apart. And, uh, you know, we've had events where stuff like that happen. Luckily, they weren't well-attended events, <laughs> and that part didn't make the media and stuff like that. But, you know, those, those things happen, you know. Yeah, so, right. Um, just, yeah, just the little, the little minute details need to be very well-attended to. And thank God we've got the staff that has the experience to, to work with those details.
0: Right. And you, like I said, you've traveled basically from, from coast to coast. Uh, do these, are these all the same people that travel with you every time?
1: Not, not always, you know, um, each event has a particular budget that's treated a certain way. So, um, you know, I don't take my infield flaggers to Florida, for instance, because it's just not, it's not, uh, fiscal. It doesn't make sense. You know, so some, some people I will source locally. Uh, when we did Daytona, we had, uh, um, SDTRA, they came down and, and helped us out. That was a Florida fly tracking organization. And they brought us, you know, like three or four people to just help set up the track, um, help man the positions that needed to be manned. And, you know, the core was there. I brought in, I don't know, about eight to 10 people, uh, for registration and, and the things like that, that need to be a trained position, you know, but everything outside of that, we can, we can source locally.
0: Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. And, what does like the logistically? Uh, is it just you need a place to have it and you guys show up? I mean, is there is there a bunch of ton of stuff that you need to bring as far as equipment or like how does all that uh, logistically go down?
1: Uh, it, it's all dependent on the particular situation, right? So um, when we did Sturgis with Indian and we did the Buffalo Chip TT, um, what we did is had uh, Indian rent us a truck, you know, and then we packed a a uh, 10-foot box truck with all of our racing gear and, and drove. And we had uh, our driver drive it out there. That was uh, Keith, the guy that's on the staging line, you know. So um, Austin, Texas, uh, that was what, when we did the ROT rally, not the handle show when we did the ROT rally. Uh, we had so much stuff there already that was part of their deal. We just literally shipped our banners and, and our flags and things like that. Everything else was, was on site, all the tractor equipment, chalkers, all that stuff. So it, there was no need to to send a big truck.
0: Rad. Cool.
1: And law Tigers did end up sending some stuff out. They, they took a, a couple canopies out since they were going from here to Austin. Anyway, uh, they took a handful of our, our easy ups and stuff, but for the most part, we didn't have to, to do too much to get there.
0: Yeah. More. Is that, that like just more community support? And, and speaking of that, do you have, you know, a lot of sponsors that obviously, I mean, obviously there's a lot of sponsors There's probably different for every event, but what, what part did the sponsors play in all this and and how did they get involved? Have they just uh are they part of the industry or are they people that see you moving and shaking and they just want to be a part of that
1: absolutely that's uh, it's a little bit of both you know some of our our smaller sponsors have been excited to see the media exposure that we've reached you know I mean if you stop and you look back at uh, Daytona, for instance, when we did our live broadcast on Harley's Facebook, that's saw eight hundred and twenty six thousand views. You know, and then you look at some of our Facebook, or our, our YouTube videos, excuse me, and those <clears throat> are probably up to over 10,000 to 30,000 views by now. So, you know, it's for some of the guys that are trying to get in and, and help us out and support us. You know, we, we have our, our standard charges or depending on what they want to get involved with and, and, and deal with. I know Recluse Clutches is coming on board and Evans Power Sports is going to be coming on board this year. Um, and they're going to be providing us stuff to help us with our program. You know, it's not necessarily a, a a financial thing where they're mailing us a check, but instead they're using their resources to get us something that we're in dire need of. You right. know, if we were talking with Evans about getting um, a transponder system, you know, so we can start using um, two-line uh, heat races. You know, we can have 12-man heats and 12-man mains instead of six-man heats and 12-man mains. Yeah, yeah, sense. for sure. So, but you just can't do that with, with manual scoring. You know, we have to have somebody qualify into their spots. And that's, you know, that's the future, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're getting, as you've grown, and as the, you know, the attention's grown, as the sponsorship's grown, and as you're, uh, I mean, as the whole organization has grown, um, are you getting more and more... Uh, well, does it feel like it's becoming less uh, grassroots and does it feel like it's becoming maybe perhaps more of a, uh, you know, like a series event where you, you need the transponders, you need to get the, the TV coverage, you need to start sourcing out, you know, uh, cameramen now and stuff like that? Or is it still, I mean, is it still fun? <laughs> to
1: put yeah, it I'll with? be uh, real honest with you. because That's a, a very, very good question. And nobody's really asked that. Nobody really knows what's going on with us right now because we've been fairly silent since uh, their Buckeye race in Arizona. But uh, we're gonna probably slow it down and just just keep it local. You know, I have a pretty decent day job and I want to. I'm going to keep that for as long as I possibly can, and until we can get um, racing events to to supplement what I make here, it's just not gonna happen. You know, so instead of instead of saturating it and doing 15 events a year or 10 events a year like we've done for the last two and a half years. You know, we're, we're going to slow down and we're probably just going to do one Del Mar race, this, uh, twisted throttles event that we're going to talk about a little bit later in November. Um, and then maybe one or two in Arizona and that's it. You know, we just want to, we want to keep it contained, keep the, uh, corporation side out of it. You know, um, Indian was great to work with. Um, you know, there's no, I've no, no bad blood there or anything. We'd be happy to work with them again. But, you know, some of the, when you have some of the corporate stamps on it, it can take the fun out of it. Right, and it becomes more about business than it does about the fun. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm just not, that's not the route I want to go. So. Right.
0: It starts to get away from your initial vision that it sounds like you had for, you know, to, the reason to start it anyway, which is because you were having so much fun out there doing it on, you know, on your TTR or on your, uh, on your 500, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I, I want everybody to share that same love and experience that I had. I mean, it really felt like a, a kid with his first girlfriend. You know, I mean, it just, that's the way it felt to go flat tracking for the first two years, you know, and that's the way it felt to promote it for the first couple of years, you know, but as it got bigger and as it started spreading out and there was, you know, different expectations of the way, I mean, Daytona was was so much fun. It was probably one of the funnest events that we've ever put on, but the, uh, you know, the amount of work that it took to build that track and make that facility look like it was a true racing arena was a lot of really, really hard work. And there were so many moving parts. And, you know, um, we were working with Harley-Davidson on that. And they're, you know, as they should be. They're very particular about the way things look to represent the corporation. You know, so we had to, you know, we set everything up. Then we had to move everything around. Then we had to move banners. It was just, it was, uh, it took the fun out of, you know. But it didn't make the racing boring. I mean, the racing in itself was the most fantastic event I think uh, we've ever put on. So, you know, we'll we'll take the good with the bad and and just learn from it and and go the right direction.
0: Right. It's like when people think of, you know, taking their life story or some crazy memoir they have and turning it into a movie. And then all of a sudden you get the guy that's paying for the movie. He says, well, I don't like this. Have the writers or some other people write this. You know, it's like the whole thing of Hollywood. Uh, You know, living in L.A., I hear about it all the time, how it started off as something great, but it ended up uh, totally 180 from what people were were thinking when they started out because of you have all, like you're saying people come in they want it this way they want it, and you kind of have to I mean if you're not financing the whole thing and and which I mean takes a lot you know a lot of time and money to do these things the right way like you guys do them then yeah re- it really gets to be where you're you're playing someone else's song in the end so yeah I mean that makes sense to kind of scale back and do it the way that you know people got interested in in the first place so that that, that makes sense. absolutely.
1: I see it this, this way. And then the reason, the main reason that we're slowing down is because we had so many events. I mean, uh, this November event is going to be our 30th event in three years. My you God, know, 10 events a year. And when you stop and you break that down, I mean, that's, that's, uh, just under, or just, yeah, just under one a month, right? So right. you're talking one every five weeks, six weeks, something like that. Or more or less, whatever it happens to be. I'm not the best uh, mathematician. That's why I race motorcycles, right? But yeah, <laughs> I can count. of I,
0: I I have too much drool running out of my mouth right now to even try and figure out those numbers. Sure. But I'll, I'll take your word for it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so when the the ultimate point I'm getting at here is when you stop and you and you break down the amount of work that takes to go into each event, uh, when you're doing that many, each event's going to take a hit somewhere.
0: On that note, let's talk about hits. We'll be right back with Brian Bell from Ivy League Flat Track, and we are going to talk about Daily Biker Dan. Daily Biker Dan has been creating motorcycle artwork for umpteen bajillion years now, and if you go to dailybikers.com, not only can you get gear reviews, ride reviews, Uh, All sorts of insights into the motorcycling lifestyle from a crazy Australian, but you can also check out dailybikersstore.com for a whole bunch of motorcycle-related gifts. He's got cards. He's got stickers. He's got gift wrap and card bundles. He's got this bitchin' new 33-page coloring book that has all sorts of stuff. He doesn't just do baggers. He doesn't just do vintage. He does everything. There's sport bikes. There's cruisers. There's dirt bikes. You can't get a lot of dirt bikes stuff out there trust me and he's got modern through classic styles stick around to the end of the show or check our show notes to see where you can find us on instagram but if you go there you can check out an epic throwdown that my daughter and i had using one of dan's digital downloads so if you don't necessarily want to spend the coin on a 33 page coloring book just go get a single print dailybikerstore.com
1: All right. So, yeah, uh, when you're doing 10 events a year, uh, each one of those events is going to take a little bit of a hit uh, because you're doing so much for each event simultaneously. They overlap each other, Uh, you know, no different than a Venn diagram. And that's what it feels like sometimes we're working on two or three different events and each event takes a hit, whether it be on the marketing or promotional side of it or the racer registration side of it or the track prep side of it or something. Something's always coming up. Uh, you know, and it leaves these last minute panics. And if, you know, if you know what it's like to be a promoter, I mean, it's, it's like standing on hot coals all the time. You know, <laughs> you, you have to be, you have to be ready to move and, and keep your feet cold. Otherwise you're going to, you're just going to sit there and burn. And right. so, uh, um, mm-hmm. by slowing these events down and doing three or four a year, and that's one event every three to four months, mm-hmm. we can make sure that each one is treated. efficiently, you know, nothing takes a hit. Everything's going to be much more organized, you know, and, and this is so small. I mean, at the grand scheme of things, you know, people look at social media or, or something like that and assume that this is a million dollar program and it's just not, it's just not, you know, Uh, the the cost of Delmar is almost what we bring in, you know, so it's at some point it becomes, um, not necessarily worth it to, to skip those steps. We need it to be 100%.
0: Right. You guys make it look, you know, you guys make it look so easy and so, so good that I, I mean, I bet people think that, oh yeah, you're raking in the dough, but to get uh, (laughs) to, just probably (laughs) rental and facility, rental and insurance. I mean, that would be enough to make me start crying if I had to like look something like that in the face.
1: If I could, uh, if somebody asked me today for advice on what they should do to promote a race, I would tell them don't. Just don't do it. You know, I mean, it's uh. (laughs) I I really enjoy it and I've and I've got a natural gift for for marketing this thing, you know, and socializing and making the right networking contacts, or whatever to make it work. So I've been blessed there, but you know, to to come into it green like I did, that that cost me a lot of money from the get go. You know. I didn't know how to budget it or, or do the things that I needed to do to make it profit profit profitable, excuse me.
0: Yeah. Well and yeah, I mean that's uh that's an incredible to me, that's an incredible part of you know, like I said, how easy you made it look. And, and to think that I, I saw it from the beginning and it seemed like it was easy enough to kind of start. But then when I started to kind of break it down in my head and kind of think about what you must, you know, the, the whole thing of creative writing is that i try tried to look at the creative side of motorcycle riding. And I started to actually look at how things are made and how people interact in, in the motorcycle industry. And it started to unveil a bunch of the stuff like that. Whereas, you know, for, for for somebody just participating in it, it seems so easy. You go, you pay your fee, you make sure your bike passes tech, and you go have a blast, and you have a lot of fun. Good. And then the promoters are the ones at night, like, you know, Pulling out their hair, you know, three days before the event, because they, you know, they're the only ones that know that something may be going wrong or some something didn't hit schedule or like it rained, you know, on the facility, whatever it is. And so, yeah, I, I really, I, I, uh, I feel for you. <laughs> <And> <laughs> just thinking about, uh, you know, what it what it must take. You know, I, I, until I started to pull the veil back on that stuff, I really. You know, for me, it was the same sort of thing. I love going to these events. I love turning people on to them. And I know they're going to have a good time when they go see them because you guys do a quality, you know, it's a quality gig. And, uh, but... From from the get-go, when I saw the people running around and I saw everybody radioing, you know, just just watching you guys. If you if you take a time and step back from what the action is on the track and all the crashes and the fun stuff that you're gonna see, and if you take take a step back and look at the people that are running it, you can see that you guys aren't just like standing around, you know, enjoying it too. You guys, it's constant and the speed that you guys put these things on with to me is incredible because it's just, you know, there was a few people that were, that, that went, that had never gone and they said, I can't believe it's just ripping after, you know, they, they literally don't stop. And I said, no, these guys are like on it. They've, you know, you guys have got it figured out in a very short amount of time, how to make a the, the best bang for your buck because the action never stops. And, um, you guys have figured out how to keep, you know, each race just right on stacked on top of the other one, you know? So it's it's like nonstop action until the track can't take it anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my, my crew's been actually very receptive to it because when I first told them how I wanted to run the program, that you know, nobody believed that it was possible, you know? And I said, look, I don't want any more than 20 seconds without hearing a motorcycle. I mean, that's the <laughs> bottom line, you know? Yep. And, and everybody's going, well, what are we supposed to do with scoring? And I, I said, bring in more people you know, have four people there, five people there, you know, and, and this last year I developed a system where, you know, I put somebody in charge of, of making the main sheets as the heats are finishing. So literally by the time these riders get off the track and back to their pits, we already know where they're starting in their, in their mains. Yeah. So we only fast. need a five or 10 minute break, you know, just to prep, prep the track and, maybe do a couple interviews or whatever just to let everybody get caught up and breathe for a second, you know, get some water, and then we're back into it, and it doesn't stop. You know, the, the heats we can go through, you know, 50, 60 heat races in, in about an hour and 10 minutes. And then the mains obviously reduce the number of races due to the combination of the classes, right, or the combination of heats. So we can, we can get through that in about 40, 45 minutes, you know. Yeah. So ultimately we're looking at a, about a two to two-and-a-half-hour program, and that's exactly yeah. where you want it to be.
0: And you're, and it's like you know, you're guaranteed to see at least like thirty five thousand races in that two and a half hours. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding,
1: right? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, no it's great. Yeah, sometimes you'll yeah. you'll go you'll go to a, an event and you're sitting around waiting for like thirty minutes while they prep the track, and then they do like you know, it seems like they're having like a riders meeting in between each dang heat race or something, and it does it just takes forever. But you guys are just banging them out like a a nickel factory. If, is that a real sure. thing? A nickel a nickel factory? I don't know. if <laughs> I think that would be the mint. <laughs> right, right, That's what it's called. <laughs> but no, you guys, I mean, you're on top of it. And the fact that you guys, um, to compare you to a motorcycle show like Mama Tried or Born Free, I know Mama Tried is not in its, you know, it's still in its beginning years, but Born Free is now going on its ninth year. And I feel kind of like they started doing something and it stumbled and it's taken nine years to get the recognition and, and get to the level where they are and you guys literally 2014 I think you put on a handful of races 2015 blam you got like Josh Hayes and Melissa Paris showing up to stuff the next thing you know like Brian Smith and Brad Baker are showing up to do, you know what I mean? And then the, and, sure. and you guys are banging them out. Like like you said, like, geez, once, a m- it seemed like once a month. And then 2016, all of a sudden you're international. So, I mean, you guys didn't just stumble into this. Whatever formula you used and whatever tactics you used really catapulted you right up there to the top of, you know, the front of the uh, flat track, like grassroots scene, you know?
1: Sure. Uh, and I'll give some of the credit to, to Del Mar because they, you know, Eddie Mulder used to run the short track there back in the day. They've had nationals in that arena. You know, this was years ago before the thing was covered and uh, the pits were all wide open. And, I mean, they, they still are to an extent, but they're much nicer than they used to be. And so when I told, I think it was just a handful of people, because our first race only had 39 riders, you know, and maybe 300 tickets sold. So when we got Del Mar, I had, I had told uh, Robert Bush that we're getting Del Mar and it's going to happen. And before I knew it, uh, there, the thing had so much traction, and we, we knew that it was going to be big. We just didn't know how big. You know, in that next race, we had 390 riders and uh, three, almost 3,500 through the, the grandstands.
0: That is like yeah. multiplied to the factor of 10 right there. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It was unreal. I mean, I remember because we, we, we were prepared and organized, you know, and I, I walked to the infield during the pro race, And I just stopped and I looked at the grandstands and I looked around at the riders and I looked around at the the pit side on the stage where everybody stands to watch the race. And I realized that everybody's smiling ear to ear and everybody's Mm -hmm. having fun. And then, you know, for the first time, and I've seen this at other races and I hate it when it happens. But when I see somebody on their phone in the grandstands, you know, that's just that to me, that tells me that we got to do something different, you know. Right, so, right. Unless they're holding up their camera,
0: of course. Yeah. I was going to say, I I know I was taking video on my camera and my phone, and heck, I was drawing pictures like those courtroom drawings, whatever I could do to get that imprinted on something. I was like, my God, I got to get this down and and uh, get this on, on film because this is just it's incredible uh, action just happening. You know, guys that probably, some of them I think was their first time, and some guys have been doing it forever, and they're old vets, and they just are still racing like they're in their 20s. And I was thinking, this is a amazing
1: absolutely and I, I always make it a point in the riders meetings to and i even tell the registration girls there's first-time riders with us you know make sure that they talk to the people in the pits around them because the mentality from, and the flat track pits is not the same as it is motocross right so you can talk to your neighbor and your neighbor will give you the wheel to help beat them you know so it's something that we we take a little bit of pride in we tell these people to to pay attention we try to walk them through it we've even printed out sheets that explain exactly what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it and um it's it's been incredibly uh successful in that uh you know nobody ever comes to us with questions anymore about you know they missed their main or they missed this or they missed that because we didn't inform them right
0: right so that was a
1: huge key to the the success of putting the program together too
0: right so. Speaking of success and, uh, you know, and doing everything right is there something that you can, uh, like attribute to basically, I want to ask like, what is your biggest win and what's your biggest fail that you've ever had? I mean, obviously those are two, uh, a lesson and a reward there. So let's start with your, with your fail. What was the biggest fail or, or biggest like face slapper that, that happened that you were like, man, we got to either change this or I wasn't expecting that. Or how did this happen?
1: (laughs) Uh, It was, uh, the last Mar race, you know, I mean, uh, I, I mean, God, the thing was, had gotten so big uh, to the point where it outgrew us. You know, there was with that many entries, we had 556 entries on Saturday alone. Uh, 300 of those were, were pre-entries, so we had in you know, 256 people show up to race uh, on race day. So that was a huge win because that was obviously our best turnout. And as as far as I know, the only track uh, I know that's ever done that before us was Ascot, and. So right. to, to be in that same bracket was a huge win. However, the timing couldn't be changed because of contractual obligations with the facility, uh, with uh, you know Blake and all these other other elements that were happening. You know we couldn't just change the program. We couldn't decide Saturday morning we're going to start at eight instead of ten, you know, which would have helped us out significantly with time. And that's what ended up biting us. You know, Saturday night, um, you know I, I heard you talk about this on one of your previous shows. You know, we ran out of time and the city came and tried to shut us down and I had to pay a giant fine to keep it going. And, oh, it was, uh, you know, it was at the end of the day, it was worth it to do it because, you know, we got a few more races in before we had to call it for noise. But, you know, it ended up being a, a blessing and a, an absolute hell at the same time. Yeah. You know, I-
0: for a second, like, to be honest, for, for a hot second, I thought it was, like, a joke. Like, I, I was like, oh, this is, like, the funny part of, like, the thing, you know? And I thought you were kidding because everyone was lined up and, like, just, like, foaming, ready for that flag to drop, right? And yeah. And so, I thought you were kidding at first. And then I thought, uh-oh, something's really happening. And then, like, you know, a couple seconds later, and, oh, no, they're just, are they just kidding? Or, like, then, then I saw people, like, starting to, like you know, kind of wondering I thought, oh, oh, this is either the, the, a joke gone wrong or this is a real deal. And then, yeah, somebody was saying, no, the ci- the city's really shutting them down, which is unfortunate because Del Mar is, you know, they're, I don't know, you know, the surrounding neighborhood is just seems like they uh, are very noise averse, you know? <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, I because you I'm on your radio you show, I won't
1: say anything uh, inappropriate, but I would <laughs> love to, you know, all those people around that, that facility, um, uh, I just have, uh, zero, uh, patience for, for the things that I hear come back from them, you know, cause I get a, I get a copy of all the phone complaints and everything after the thing's <laughs> over, you know, I bet those and are f- fun to go through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, know, you know, I mean, most of the time it's just the same old thing, you know, it's just too loud, blah, 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 but you know, you just get some of the quirky ones where these people think that they're owed something for living there, you know, and it's just not, you know, it's that, uh, what do you call it? Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a hoity-toity, you know, God's gift. Yeah. Um, you the, know, like egos. The,
0: the, the entitlement clause there. Yeah, yeah sure.
1: absolutely. You know, and I, I haven't done the history, but I feel like or, or research has been enough. But I feel like uh, it's the same thing as John Wayne Airport in Orange County. I've, I'm sure that facility has been there since before those houses were there. You know, so you, at some point you have to look at yourself and, and realize that your complaints are unjust because you moved in next to it. Yeah, no. so
0: yeah i don't want to go down a a, a rabbit hole but i've heard the same things happening out at paris uh not the not the speedway but at paris the little raceway i heard that there's a lot of stuff same sort of thing happening there
1: yeah and it's uh really unfortunate because if that track goes away it's really the only option for extremely regular uh flat track and Mm -hmm. you know north of san diego you've got campo down there now that's running um, you know, every other weekend or whatever it happens to be. Right. But, you know, it's, but if Paris goes away, everybody in Los Angeles, Riverside, Orange County, Bakersfield, Asperia, High Desert, all that stuff, they all lose their local track. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's going to be a huge detriment if that happens. So, you know, collectively, all of us as riders have to be mindful of, of, you know, what exhaust we're using and uh the noise. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just the bottom line. The noise is going to be the thing to lose it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, so definitely support your local track, and and I mean, if that goes away, you can complain about the fact that you can't get into race there, or they're being, you know, they're being too strict with you, but at the same time, like you're saying, if they go away, then then you don't have anywhere to go. You're going to have to go out to the, you know, the El Mirage dry lake bed and just make yourself a track. And Sure. You
1: know, you know so. I just want to say locally, I mean, you can drive up to Northern California, you can run CFDA and, and Lodi and stuff like that, but you, who wants to drive? Eight hours to 12 hours uh, a day, 10 weekends a year, 12 weekends a year, you know, I don't think it's just, I just don't think it'll work. I think if that place goes under, we're going to lose a lot of the momentum that uh, collectively we've all built over the last five or six years.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. And I've seen it uh, when I was younger, I used to live in San Diego and there was the famous Cajon Speedway was there forever and uh, that thing shut down and i don't know where all the gear had i mean i guess i live pretty close to irwindale now and i guess everything probably transferred up to here but there's like this is the closest paved oval that i know of besides unless you go to you know california speedway or something like that but uh i mean that's like a huge there's no small ovals as far as i know and, and you're right i mean that's the the city moves into a track area and then you're you're pushed for where you can have it has that ever been an issue for you guys have you had trouble finding a venue or or do you guys go to like established places where you know it's going to be a little bit easier for uh for people to come spectate and to race
1: i I think you'll uh, be in love with this response uh i try to be creative about how we're going to deliver the program (laughs) you know uh i mean it really it's it comes when we did the rot rally in texas we built a track when we did it at hand built you know, I was in a tractor for three days in downtown Austin, uh, hauling in dirt, leveling out dirt and building the track. You know, uh, we knew that was going to be temporary and we knew we were going to deal with noise complaints. But, you know, it's it's really just about, you know, as long as you're, you're real about whether or not it's going to be consistent or a one time thing and then what you're going to spend on it to make it work. You know, right. I mean, if I could build a, a flat track in downtown L.A. for 30 grand, I would put on a race there. Yeah. You know, can, can you? Because you?
0: Know, I'd, I'd love to see that. I mean, I'd love
1: to do that. <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've looked all over the place, man. I've I've ex- uh, explored downtown LA quite a bit, uh, from parking structures to vacant lots to, you know, um, anything that we can use. And uh, it's just nothing's feasible, you know. I mean, even warehouses and things like that. But the problem that you have with warehouses is even if you have the right surface, you don't have the right ventilation. Yeah. You know? And that's been our biggest issue with, with trying to get something in LA. Not to say that it won't ever happen, you know, but um at one point in my in my promotions career, this was the first year that we did it. Uh I was going after helipads on top of skyscrapers. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm dead serious. Be,
0: that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, and we we we've had a good in at getting it paid for, but the um and, and it was ultimately somewhat doable, but the problem was is that uh, the fire department or the fire marshals wouldn't allow more than I think seventy people on the roof of the skyscraper at any given time, and that was per fire escape. So, you know, to get try to get two thousand people on top of a skyscraper and some chain link fencing <laughs> was like a, a dog fight. You know, I just it wasn't possible because of the fire marshal, and unfortunately, that that. Shut that uh, plan down and that idea yeah. down. So,
0: man, what do they know though? You know what I'm saying? I see, I see music videos with like thousands of people on top of buildings. Come on.
1: Well, that was the next part <laughs> that we tried to do with it. Instead of trying to make it a, a paid ticket event, we tried to go after some of the energy drinks and you know, stuff like that about putting on a, a production for a promotional video for Ivy League. You know, and that was to the point where they were going to have our staff. You know falling down a rope out of a helicopter onto the helipad to start the race, you know.
0: That would have been rad. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's, but you know, that's what you need is the spectators and blimps, because then you have them uh, right above the facility, and it's not necessarily people on the facility except for the racers. So they're, maybe yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> We'd actually talked to the fire marshal about having a couple of helicopters up there just in case something happened. We'd have a, that was our legitimate a- evacuation plane. You know, wow. we could have found guys that would have been willing to volunteer that time. You no know, kidding. Part of it.
0: So all joking aside, you really explored like all avenues of this thing.
1: Yeah, I spent about three months on it, uh, calling different places every day, going after management companies that ran the buildings, um, going after the fire marshals, doing, you know, looking at insurance stuff and, you know, and what it would cost to put barriers up there It would have been on, directly on the helipad. It wouldn't have been dirt, you know, but... Yeah. All in all, it would have been totally feasible and doable if it just wasn't for the fire marshals.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Heck. Don't even put barriers. Just as like a, as like a Mad Max. If you go yeah, right?
1: up, you're, you're out. You're out. <laughs> just give everybody parachutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Mario Kart. Yeah,
0: man. Helipads. That would be one heck of a race.
1: Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. There was there was a bunch of stuff that we we explored. I mean, everything from shipping docks to um, even we were talking to. We reached out to the Midway in San Diego, the aircraft carrier. Oh my my grandfather was on it in World War II, and we wanted to throw a race on the surface there to promote Del Mar, but, you know, it just wasn't, they weren't even close to receptive. So, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> You're not tearing a bunch of bikes around on the deck of this thing.
1: Absolutely. There's one thing I'm less afraid of in this world, and it's the word no. You know, if somebody wants to tell me no, that's fine, but it's not going to stop me from asking.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's awesome. And that's probably why you've put on the stuff you have where you have. I mean, you've done some pretty incredible stuff, I have to say.
1: Um, I appreciate that, definitely.
0: Okay, so speaking of, uh, you know, putting on events, crazy events here and there and everywhere, you you sound like you have another one in the works. Am, am I right about
1: that? Yeah, indeed you are. Um, this one's going to be one for the record books. I think it's going to be by far the most well-attended uh, event that we've ever put on. So... Um, just a little bit of a breakdown, uh, we're going more with a lifestyle event, something similar to the Born Free or Sturgis or any of the rallies around, and uh, we've been lucky enough to obtain the entire facility at Barona Speedway, which is uh, an eighth-mile drag strip and a quarter-mile flat track, and they've got a smaller, like, eighth-mile uh, flat track in the middle for beginner stuff, and so what we're looking at doing now, <clears throat> it was uh, something I, uh, my partner and I had uh, visions on. I met him at the Del Mar race in January. He ran uh, an event called Race on the Res back in March where they had drags and they had 73 uh, drag guys show up and they had about 700 guys to the, the gates. And Blake approached me said he wanted to do something together. And I said, Absolutely. And so the more we got to talking about it, the more we realized the potential at the facility. And so <clears throat> offering more than just something like a, a Del Mar flat track race, you pay your to get in the gate, $10 for parking, $40 for a beer and all that stuff, uh, we decided to go a different route. And so we've teamed up with Pabst Blue Ribbon, uh, Sailor Jerry, um, Cruise Armor, um, Law Tigers, and uh, they're going to help us put together uh, something pretty big, which is a Friday night party. It's going to be in downtown Ramona. Um, We've got the city city council and the chamber of commerce 100% behind us. Uh, the party, the kickoff party, is gonna be Friday night at the Main Stage Theater in Ramona. which is like an old uh, 1920-style theater uh, where we're gonna feature an art show, uh, some bike builds, um, some photography guys, stuff like that. And then uh, fr- uh, Saturday is gonna be um, drags from like 10 in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We've got a vert ramp coming in. Sailor Jerry's bringing in a 100 by 30 tent that Hot Bike's gonna do a show under. Um, you know, we got a big stage PBR is bringing in a bunch of bands and uh, it's gonna be a camp out. You can bring your own food and coolers and all the stuff. So it's going to be more of a, you know, a lifestyle fun weekend event lo- loaded with activity. You know, we're going to bring the joust out. We're going to bring the limbo out. We're going to do all that stuff and just let people sign up to do it.
0: Crazy. So. I almost passed out just you talking about all that stuff.
1: That's, <laughs> a lo- that's a lot of stuff.
0: That's like a total family fun weekend. That's absolutely amazing.
1: And I've gotten very lucky here because with Blake coming in and he can run the drags, I don't have to even look at it. I don't have to pay attention to it. It's something that he's going to run and, you know, I'm going to run the flat track stuff. And then we've brought in a few other partners who uh, I'm going to keep quiet for now. I'll let them decide when they want to come out with it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we've had enough interest and enough momentum in this thing to where we've gotten people involved that have taken some of the financial responsibility as well as some of the delegation of, of tasks. You know, so one guy's going to handle where the vendors go and the camping, and so that's just the overall layout of the facility. You know, and then we've got, you know, the local high school is going to send volunteers to help us direct traffic as people are pulling in Friday night and Saturday morning. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's so many moving parts and elements that have gotten even bigger than Del Mar ever was. You know, so it's it's going to be a fun time. I'm expecting four to five thousand people, and if we expect if we get more than that, I will, I will just, uh, I'll, I'll. Quit my job and we'll do this full time. <laughs> you know, right. So. <laughs>
0: right. Dream come true. Man, that's yeah, absolutely that sounds amazing. And oddly enough, I, I moved here from Arkansas when I was a little kid and I moved to Ramona and that little movie theater I saw the dark crystal there. If that Oh right. wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so very I'm like, nice. like hundred and twelve years old. Um, yeah, no, that's you know, that whole my God, I can't I can't think of a better place to uh it's beautiful out there. I mean, I haven't like, I haven't been to to Barona in a long time, but I mean, it's just, that's a beautiful, beautiful part of San Diego. I couldn't think of a better place to build this like weekend mototopia. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. And we've gotten incredibly lucky because the current chairs in the city council and the chamber of commerce are all motorcycle people and are, are fully willing to help us with whatever we need. You know, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff pro bono. You know, we don't have to, if we need a permit for something, we just call and ask. You know, and they're going to take care of it for us make sure we have it, you know. Um, yeah. And in the city of Ramona, I mean, let's not, let's not venture too far away from that. It's, it's a jewel. I mean, the Ramona <laughs> Stage Theater is amazing. It's an amazing, beautiful, just like elite place, you know. And then you go next door to that, it's the Ramona Cafe, right? And that was featured on uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, you know. And then uh, down the street from there is the Waypoint Saloon, which was featured on uh, uh, Bar Rescue you know right. and so there's all these little elements to Ramona that I don't think anybody realizes collectively how important those things are and so having them involved with us is uh is definitely a huge huge positive scope for you know what could end up being a San Diego based rally in the future
0: right and, and and I know definitely it's a waypoint I mean a lot of people take Ramona to get to you know the backside of San Diego down in in the desert and stuff so it, it's a beautiful ride it's a destination ride and when I was a little kid back in the 1800s like way when I was a little little kid uh, <laughs> it was a lot of farmland and dairy and a lot of horses and then I mean it's it's definitely grown but it still has that small town feel and that's just awesome to have that much community support in one place where sometimes all it takes is one person or like a particular part of town if the town's too big to say nah but you know it sounds like you guys just have you know hand over fist help and support so that's that's like it just sounds like this is just going to be way easier than it should be to be honest
1: <laughs> yeah i think it's going to be you know a lot of people have reached out to help us out and luckily you know adam from 24 cycles is offered to do a kind of a cycle swap meet for us and there's going to be a bunch of other things happening that uh we haven't locked down but before i get too far away from what we were just talking about uh, you know we've gone to all these rallies i've been to the rot rally now i've been to daytona a couple of times i've been to sturgis you know i've been to milwaukee for uh, mama tried i've been to portland for the one show and stuff like that you know and a lot of these these different biker destinations you know that you have to get so far away to see something new you know i mean daytona if you've been down there one time it never changes it's going to be the same daytona for the next 50 years you know, but Ramona has that Sturgis feel where it's a real small town and there's all these riding destinations around it. There's stuff yeah. to see, places to go, you know, Julian, go get some pie, you know, go down into Nebrego Springs and check out the wildflowers, things like that, you know.
0: Exactly. So, definitely a gem. Yeah, you know as well as I do that most places here in, in Cali, you're 45 minutes from the beach, 45 minutes from the mountains, the desert, you know, anything you want. And it's always, if you don't get to do it one year, then that's a reason to come back next year and, and go out the next other direction that you went, you know? So, Absolutely. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And we we see this in the, in the five-year to ten-year plan. We see this thing being a week long, you know? I mean, not that the drags and flat track are going to be going on every day, but there's, you know, reasonable belief that this is going to grow much, much bigger than just that facility. Right. And we're excited about that.
0: Yeah. Do you do you uh, keep your eye on stuff like Sturgis? Because Sturgis is obviously has hill climbs, flat track, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes they have supermoto there during it. And, yeah, they don't have it all week long. But it's something to go do if you don't just want to sit around and look at, you know, 53,000 bikes every day. You got, you know, sure. to do and then go check an event. Is that sort of like, you know... If if you aspire to do something, it would be sort of like that where it's it's a rally and then, you know, everything else that you've basically laid out on top of that.
1: Yeah, no, no, there's uh there's a lot of stuff that's that's planned for the future. We just, it all depends on how this first one goes. You know, yeah. we've talked about with the city council about getting streets shut down to have a legitimate supermoto race through town.
0: Oh, my God.
1: We, there's, Verona has a motocross track right there on the property. It's not on the same property that we're on but it's no less than a quarter mile or no more than a quarter mile away. Right. You know, so <clears throat> we've talked about uh, bringing in motocross for the second year and supermoto for the second year. We've talked about having, um, you know, a four day event where, you know, the guys on the street bikes, we give them these destinations to go to for a poker run kind
0: of a thing. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. So
1: you go to Julian, you get some pie and you get a card, you go to Rego and you go to the museum there, or whatever you get a card, you go to the Verona casino, you know, and then, there's all these different places around there to where, you know, we're going to try to guide the the people that want to go out there and ride to places to go by incorporating a poker run, you know,
0: that sounds, I mean, I, Hey, if you're, if you can hear my voice right now and you're listening to this show, if you don't go to this and you're in the area, heck, even fly in from out of state, I don't care, <laughs> you know, come, <laughs> this this is going to be something you definitely don't want to miss if you're within even like a 500 mile radius. So no excuses. If you live in Utah or Nevada, I mean, you're close enough to come. What do you got going on over there anyway? A bunch of dirt. So just come, yeah. on, over, come on over this way and check out, you know this, this moto utopia. So yeah, this, it sounds like it's just going to be a blast. I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait. All right. So it, if you do want to come, you know, and I know these people are, most of the people listening are going to come to this. Um, do you have a date? Do you have a time? Uh, where can, how do we know when this is happening? Let me know. I need to know.
1: Uh, follow the social media right now. Uh, I mean, cause that's where a lot of the information is going to be going. Twisted Throttle SoCal on Facebook and, uh, Twisted Throttle SoCal on Instagram. Um, Uh, And on the Instagram side, there's underscores between each word. So just be mindful of that. Um, The party in Ramona is going to be Friday, November 3rd. Uh, And just to be clear, we have about three or four different um, bars and restaurants out there that are going to be having activities that night. Main Street's a cool place to go shopping if you want to take your wife or kids or whatever. It's a real family-friendly place. Uh, Saturday, November 4th at Verona Speedway. Uh it's gonna be a thirty dollar admission, um, but you can bring your own food and beer and, and whatever you want. Um and then it's twenty dollars a campsite, not per person per campsite. So if you will have ten people staying in your campsite, it's two dollars a person to camp. So relatively cheap weekend, uh loaded with activity, uh loaded with, with good vendors, good um sponsors, good uh magazines. I mean there's gonna be all kinds of good stuff happening. So
0: That sounds awesome. I'm going to mark my calendar right now. Uh, So follow that on social media, uh, Twisted Throttle SoCal, and for sure stay. uh, You know, follow that to to stay in touch with the updates. And I'm sure you guys are just going to be adding stuff, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, until it happens. So uh, I implore everybody that's listening right now to please follow that on social media so that you know what's happening and you know what you're going to miss out on if you don't end up going. You're really going to regret it.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And and just a couple of things I forgot about. There's a you know some stunt shows and stuff going on too, and and obviously we had the swap meet that we talked about a little bit earlier. You know there's there's something for everybody, everybody. Right. It doesn't right. it doesn't need to be just the Harley guy. It can be the BMW touring guy too. There's going to be something there that you're going to love. So
0: right. Um. Now can can people volunteer? This is not just for this event, but for any Ivy League events, anything that coming up, t- just to to help support the scene and help you know, help out any way you can, if it's not attending, um, can people volunteer for Ivy league events? Can people volunteer for this event? Um, I mean, if they want to get in touch with you, uh, is that possible for them to lend a hand somewhere where you need it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I believe me, I welcome it with, with open arms. Cause, uh, you know, I don't want to turn gray before I turn 40 and I, I keep going the way it's going. It's going to happen. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, reach out to us through social media. There's a contact us page on our website, which is IVLFT.com. Um, you know, the Instagram works, uh, the Facebook works, both those go directly to my phone. So I'll, I'll see it as soon as you, you get in contact. So, uh, yeah, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. I know with the slip and throttles, we're going to need, um, about 50 volunteers from Friday to Saturday. So you know, and it's going to be in like two or three hour shifts, so you can still enjoy your enjoy your time there. Right. You know, we just uh, we don't want to you know have people volunteering for fourteen hours a day. As my staff does at Del Mar, they get beat up. So you know, if we can <laughs> do, do two or three hour shifts and let everybody enjoy the event and the festival, I want to show it when they're done with theirs, that uh, we welcome it.
0: Right. I know. I know a lot of people in San Diego, and I'm going to have them contact you and uh, sign them up. So.
1: That'd be great. That'd be great. Free labor for you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the like I said earlier, the twisted bottles, SoCal. The Facebook goes to me. The Instagram goes to my partner Blake. So, it, reach out to either one of us there, too. Blake's got uh, a handful of delegations he can give out too. So,
0: right, perfect. Well, that sounds good. I, I may, you may even see my ugly mug there, uh, trying to help out uh, if I can. I mean, this, I just, I want this stuff to grow. It's all about obviously being creative and creating new new experiences for writers and families and everything like that. And so I, I really hope this works out as a long-term venture. And uh, I mean, I know that I can count on, you know, Ivy League and, and Brian Bell to put on event, whether, you know, wherever it is, whatever time of the year it is that they're, you know, the Ivy League events, you don't want to miss them. You definitely want to check them out. And this one sounds like it's going to be, you know, the crazy godfather of, of all events so uh, I'm super pumped about this um, yeah if you have any more information in the future um, and you know I'll be following you along on the social media but feel free to reach out here too if you have new new announcements come up or anything like that and we'll try to get some people uh, over there in, in uh, helping out and, and, and uh, attending so
1: absolutely I have you in my media contacts and uh, that's, that's one of my responsibilities for this event so we'll make sure that you're well aware of what's happening
0: Oh, perfect. Hey, before you go, before we wrap this up, uh, I have one last question for you. And is that, can you believe where you are today versus where you were, you know, in 2014? I mean, is it like a, is it a dream come true? Is it partial nightmare? Do you have acid indigestion now?
1: (laughs) 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 It's all of the above my man. It, It really is. I mean, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll stop and I'll look back at some videos that we've made over the years and, um, One in particular, there was – somebody caught me at one of my happiest moments. It was right after the hand-built show in Austin. Um, And Rebecca Cunningham uh, grabbed a video camera, and she was doing an interview with me and put a a little video together that she put on YouTube. Um, You can find it. It's uh, A Day in the Life of Brian Bell by Rebecca Cunningham. And, (laughs) you know, it it captured a moment where I was – I mean, you could see my my raccoon cam from being in the tractor for three days, building that track, spent 16, 18 hours a day doing it. And then finally Friday night when it was all over at work, nobody got hurt, everything was great. You know, that's the one video I'll look at once in a while just to remind me that, uh, you know, of of how far we've come and how many people we've touched, you know. So...
0: I, I bet you sleep well the the you know the day everything's done the night after the last uh, flag drops and the last light turns off. I bet you hit the pillow like a ton of bricks.
1: <laughs> I, I always say my favorite moment of every race is my first beer because that means it's all over, everybody's safe, and we can all wrap it up and go home. Right, right. So. <laughs> and don't get me wrong; the events are so much fun, but the amount of time and work and stress that that happens, especially two weeks prior, you know, every night it's three hours of sleep and. You know, you, you go to sleep thinking about what you forgot about that day, but there's so many things happening it's impossible to get away from. So, you know, <laughs> you just got to learn to cope with those things and, and learn when it's time to, to shut it off too, you know. Right.
0: Well, I want to thank you uh, personally for being the one that does that so that none of us have to worry about it because, I mean, man, it takes it takes a whole lot of work and, uh, you know, the, the people that you've mentioned and, you know, just getting these things uh, – that many events in over the course of like two years, I can't believe. So, I mean, hats off to you and the whole crew at Ivy league. Uh, thank you for putting on such great events. And well, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the twisted throttle. So I can't, can't wait for that. I can't, so I am just going to keep saying that all night. If I keep talking, <laughs> so I better shut up.
1: Well, well it, it goes both ways, man. I appreciate what you do. Cause the, you know, all the, all the people that have helped us out doing the things that you do too. I mean, it really, really helps us tremendously in getting the word out and, you know, and it, uh, you know, gives you a sense of uh, a good, good feeling uh, when you finish these things, knowing that you're appreciated. So, definitely, right. thank you so much for, for letting me be a part of this.
0: All right, Brian. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been good talking to you. I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Sounds good. Take care. Right.
0: Holy cow. So, that was Brian Bell from Ivy League Flat Track. You can check him out on IVLFT.com. Get in touch with him on Instagram at IVLeagueFlatTrack. And IV isn't like the, the plant, like an Ivy League school. It actually stands for Imperial Valley, which is pretty much where Brian's humble beginning turned into this creative voyage that he's gone on ever since. So it's really cool. They're also You can find him uh, at Twisted Throttles, SoCal, also Race on the Res, Cruise Armor. I'll have all the links up in the show notes if you want to reach out that way and I'll post them on the page. So don't worry, you'll be able to get in contact with them. But absolutely, this is just you know, sort of like the, the story of the Jack pine gypsies starting with nine people in Sturgis, you know, 77 years ago doing a little race. And now it's a seven day long lifestyle event. I think that, you know, the aspirations to reach that sort of thing is just what tells you that, you know, Brian and the crew are on the next level and they're thinking long-term. So this is, it's going to be amazing. And, you know, something that even runs for 20, 25 years, you know what I mean? It, It's just as guaranteed to bring the community together and just make such a cool, cool happening for people to get together and uh, share the commonality of motorcycles. So I think it's great. So uh, thanks, Brian, for coming on. We'll probably talk to Brian again um, later in the year, get some more details on what's going on. And as always, if you can't get the details here, go there, and there's always going to be new stuff popping up. So just uh, stay tuned. I'm going to step away real quick and get a drink of water. But coming up, we have our podcast roundup. We'll be right back. All right, I am properly hydrated. Back rated party. Hey, let's do our, uh, motorcycle podcasters roundup. Why don't we? So, uh, starting off motorcycle man, I'm just going to say broken Borman. Do you like Charlie Borman and Ewan McGregor? Because they released, uh, an interview with Charlie Borman and dude, that guy, he was in a serious accident and, uh, Ted talks to him about it. And dude, he, He was jacked up. I mean, that was, it sounded pretty crazy. And I mean, to come away from that, they gave him a a rider nickname. And then uh, this week, um, just yesterday, they dropped another one where they talked to some maniac, an unnamed maniac. I believe he gets a name on there as well. So go check out Motorcycle Man. You'll thoroughly enjoy it. The Doghouse. Man, the more, the more. Motorcycle podcasts I've been listening to, the less and less I like them. Is that weird to like not like the stuff that you do? Uh, Doghouse and the Castiglia Mile, where uh, Sammy Halbert raced his Kawasaki. Um, they're not very good at doing the flat track stuff, and everybody's doing the flat track stuff recently. Um, but, uh, Stick to the road racing. They have really good road racing and really good moto news. You know what I mean? So that uh, that stuff was really entertaining. But it's just, it kills me to hear people talking about, you can't pronounce Calistoga. It's Castigliana and Sammy Halbert doesn't ride a Kawasaki. Uh, at least not yet. Uh, main Event Moto. You hear me talk about these guys a lot. Um, main Event, I'm I'm not even into Moto, but you know what? Main Event is so entertaining and they're so insightful that it's, it's got me listening to what's going on in the world of Moto. And I have to say that uh, the host, if you go uh, check him out, Daniel Blair, he's a host. He also does some stuff, some commentary stuff for uh, Sports Network on TV and his little kid got knocked out. And they kind of talk about what happens when someone you love gets hurt uh, on motorcycles. So that is a pretty good show, actually, if you listen to that. And that may, I always think about this stuff with my own kids. So when he started talking about it, I was like, yeah, dude. Um, Loud Pipes podcast. They checked out the Bonneville Bobber and the L S, And I think you could pronounce it Diavel, 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 Diavel uh Devil. There's a lot of different ways I think I've heard it said on these shows, but I'm pretty sure it's Diablo. Uh, but yeah, they, they do that and uh, they get a chat. And even Rico's around, I think. Uh, Cleveland Moto, dude. Cleveland Moto dropped four stinking shows this, uh, this week. And it's pretty good. My, one of my favorite ones was that you got to listen to was the Zero versus the H2. And uh, yeah, you might be surprised when you listen to that one. Another one was a toolkit. And I was uh, actually myself thinking about doing an episode on toolkit, what's in my toolkit and what you should probably have in your toolkit. And they actually break down uh, some pretty good, they they did it. So, I mean, I might still do it because my thoughts are a little different, but um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good one. The Throttled Podcast is back this week, and of course, uh, Kevin didn't get a ride. Larry did. And they also talk about the possible ban on gas engines and by 2040 in the UK. Now, this is something that uh, if you go back to oh, creativewriting.com forward slash the Germans are coming, I think, or go go search our website. Uh, I, I did a post called The Germans Are Coming, and I think one of our episodes focused on this, the, the bans that have been happening across Europe on cars of a certain, age, uh, you can't even ride into the city uh, on a motorcycle or drive your car in if it's uh, older than a certain year because of it's, it's a polluter and you can't, um, some, some cities are doing like a diesel or a petrol ban and when the germans are coming when i wrote that article it's because german and swiss and stuff like that like volvo i've heard is going all electric uh and that's happening pretty soon and and that includes their big i believe they have big trucks that are doing uh Uh, I think they're doing like alternative or fuel cell stuff now, and I think they're actually converting them to like uh, electric or hybrid and stuff like that. So they're going um, pretty much all electric or fuel cell or something. Um, The the a lot of the German manufacturers are, and I so I I talked to a guest over. Uh, way before the summer, like Easter, back in April or something, about this. And the guy, I, I, I got to get him on. I can't say what he does or who he is, but let's just say he knows a lot about electric vehicles and the future. And um, he's not from the future. It's not no Terminator-style thing, but I really got to get this guy on so we can lay out w- – you know, how it's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, why it's gonna happen, and uh, get all those details. But um, it, it probably is. And uh, places like Hawaii over here and California, of course, uh, embracing this. So it's a pretty good, pretty good listen so far. I actually haven't finished that episode. I was listening to it when I uh, cut off to, to start recording this one. and But I've already written about it because they've already been talking about it in the automotive world for a long time. And of course, we know that electric. Once we we are we ha- we are running on finite resources, using fossil fuels and whatever combustible stuff. They're pretty much finite at this point, you know. So we know they are going to event end eventually. So we will have to start, you know, whether we like it or not. We just won't be able to. It's like, how are you going to? Um, ride a woolly mammoth around your neighborhood you're not they're all dead so that's what's going to happen to fossil fuels we are not going to be able to run them because we won't have them anymore or we'll have to ration them for like uh jet propulsion and flying airplanes i would like to still fly to places wouldn't you? instead of you know having to you know worry about that sort of stuff like they're gonna use it for that so the Law Abiding Biker Podcast, they took a trip to Canada and if you listen to it a couple of few weeks ago, they talked about gearing up for that. Uh, I, I know that Adventure Rider Radio uh, just dropped one on Rider Skills and um, Faster Breaking. I haven't got to listen to that one yet. Rider's on the Norm. Uh, today being Friday, uh, there's a new one that dropped, and I have not got to listen to that yet either. So I will probably bring you uh, some more updates next week. Just know that those are out, and you should be listening to them just because I didn't get to. You should, and then start your own podcast called "Creative Reading." That's close enough to creative writing that you could probably rip off some some of my audience. All right, let uh, let's talk about some upcoming events, and then we'll get you the heck out of here. All right. All right. Tomorrow, August. If, if you're listening to this on Monday, then you're 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 out of luck. But I've been talking about it for a while now. Is the Hell on Wheels flat track race that's going on at Paris? It's the Paris quarter mile over, so not Paris Raceway, the little flat track uh, track uh, and motocross thing. It's at the actual Paris uh, Speedway where they have. Uh, you know, they run like the open wheel cars and stuff there too. So it's the Paris, uh, half mile oval is where they're going to be having it. It's going to be a flat track galore at the Paris quarter mile oval. Also, uh, the sixth is going to be the Buffalo chip TT in Sturgis, South Dakota. That is going to be Awesome. And so, check that out. That should be on fanschoice.tv. And you should be able to see them jump on the twins and all, along with the singles. And two days later, I believe they're going to be having the uh, Black Hills Half Mile i can totally double check this for you too yeah so august sixth is the tt august 8th is the black hills uh half mile at the black Hills speedway in rapid city south dakota and then august 13th the peoria tt the newly designed tt the first time they'll be jumping the twins on there uh for a national since the 80s they already ran it they already did a you know the Peoria does two TTs a year. One's not on the national schedule and one is. So the pros already got a chance to go check it out and see how they they redid it. And I I liked it when I saw it. So I'm excited for that one, actually. The Peoria, we'll see if Henry Wiles can take his, what is this, going to be number 15 uh, if he wins it this year. So that will be pretty awesome. That would be something to behold. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on on the 5th, and I just can't, besides Sturgis, I mean, heck, if you're you're in South Dakota and you're on a motorcycle, um, you better be at Sturgis. Otherwise, there's only a bunch of, um, I don't know, beautiful land to be (laughs) looking at. I don't know, whatever, just go to Sturgis. Um, I have some other stuff coming up in L.A. area, uh, the second Sunday ride, the DTLA uh, second Sunday is coming up. I know Venice Vintage is has their third Sunday ride, so check that out. Um, if you need to see the event calendar, the one I use for the L.A. area is lamotorcyclist.com. They have a great uh, events calendar on there, and you can always add your stuff in. Um, at the end of the month, August 27th, the last Sunday of the month, you can check out uh, the SoCal cycle swap meet uh, in Long Beach and we just had a write-up a guest write-up by whiskey whiskey cloud man he uh, did a little write-up on last uh, weekends so he went there uh, looking for some sweet deals and I'm not 100% sure if he got them or not also uh, the Oil & Ink Expo is going to be in Venice. They, it, Oil & Ink is pretty cool. It's like an uh, art, motorcycle art. You know I love motorcycle art. I've hooked up with a bunch of motorcycle artists for the show. And, uh, yeah, so the Oil & Ink Expo ought to be pretty good. Uh, uh, that's going to be the 16th of September. For more details on that, you can actually go to oilandinkexpo.com. And find out all you need to know about This awesome motorcycle artwork showcase. Uh, Near and dear to our hearts, September 17th, is the Mission Built Custom Motorcycle Show. There's going to be live music and art. It's going to be at Mission Brewery at uh, 1441 uh, L Street in San Diego. And that's put on by Cerberus uh, Motorcycles. Cerberus uh, Dave is going to be probably behind this, I'm guessing. And if you either go to Cerberus and ask them all about it or go to San Diego Motorcycle Culture Facebook page, which is Jennifer from Cerberus, you can see all of it at uh, get all the details there and you can check out the flyers and all that cool stuff. So that really is coming together. And uh, I'm pretty proud. We talked about that back when uh, we interviewed them. They were talking about expanding and doing more stuff in the community than they already do. And hell, this is gonna be a great show. They're gonna be bringing um, a show kind of like the Outliers Guild was for LA, kind of like the one show for Portland. They're gonna be doing something cool for San Diego, which is San Diego builders only from what I understand. So that ought to be pretty awesome. Also, coming up in September, September 23rd, Santa Maria Raceway. I almost said Wasteway. uh, Santa Maria Wasteway, which is at 1900 Hutton Road in Napomo, California, it's Hutton Road, H U T T O N. When Hutton talks, everybody listens. Anyway, yeah, September twenty third. Our friend Chris Wiggins told us about this one. He's going to be uh, promoting this and help putting it on. If you go to SoCal underscore Hooligans on Instagram, you can get the the flyer and the date and all that great stuff. This is going to be awesome. I plan on going to this, and uh, you know, we'll see how things work out. But. I wouldn't want to miss this for the world. This is going to be so cool. And, uh, everything that we talked about with Chris, you know, just seeing it materialize, this ought to be a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of other stuff happening in the interim. There's a lot of, in the LA area specifically, there is, uh, you know, the, all the downtown, uh, LA rides, they do, um, second Sunday rides. There's a few clubs that do third Sunday rides, like the Venice vintage motorcycle club. Um, I think the East side, or no, I'm sorry. The bells on bikes, um, they do it, and so if you check out that stuff, like I said, go to lamotorcyclist.com for all the info on stuff happening around here, and you will, uh, you'll get that piped straight into your eyeball from the internet. It's kind of a cool experience. Some uh, international stuff that I have marked down is the Sultans of Sprint, which is the in happening in uh, Glemsek. I believe this is Germany, Leonsburg, Germany, and I'm I think the Sultans of Sprint is that crazy hipster get together where like every single european bike on bike xf gets together to race each other am i wrong about that is that not the sultans of sprint uh but anyway i think that's where they get together to race i did a little sprint race on a track there and that's happening september foist and you could keep your ears peeled for september 16th uh the la mods versus rockers does their little camp out and so i'm not 100 sure there's a lot of stuff going on right around those two weekends so uh you know we got the uh mission built show and the mods versus rockers camp out and the santa maria uh you know event happening the next weekend or weekend right after that so hmm it's gonna be a tough one September and uh so we'll find out what happens when we get there anyway I hope you all have a really good night and uh sorry WIR top tens you got rained out at least you got one or two rounds in yeah so let us know how it happened and we'll talk to you uh, next a week uh If you'd like to get in touch with creative writing, by all means, hit us up on email creative writing podcast at gmail.com, all one word. Check us out on the web creative writing.com, creative writing.tumblr.com, and you can look us up on Twitter at creative underscore writer. And you can find us on Facebook at Creative Writing Podcast, also on Instagram, Creative Writing Podcast, and wherever fine books are sold. (laughs) You can also catch us audio on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Pocket Casts, and other things where they might put out a podcast, like, I don't know, Podbean. TechCrunch, Google Whopper, uh, the 10 Flappers, and some other of that stuff.
1: All right. (laughs) First
0: first edit. Nice. 20 20 seconds in. There you go. Throttle Podcast also uh, talking about whoops, talking... Has, I want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything crazy about it, but, <laughs> wow, I'll edit that, that for 40 minutes perfectly. Um, so speaking of wind and, and doing everything right. And uh, keep your ears to the grindstone. To the grindstone. I'm guessing about 15 years ago uh, and I was like into my buddy that was in a car club I'm gonna send it